Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. I have a bunch of topics to get to this morning, and of course, I welcome your thoughts and comments and observations as we range far and wide on issues of the past couple of weeks. Now, for starters, I had a vigorous amount of feedback on my interview last Sunday with Steve Callis and our discussion regarding Little League Baseball and how its popularity seems to be dwindling in terms of enrollment numbers over the last several years. And I want to revisit this concern a little bit again this morning. I also want to update you on the growing concern about the lack of civility at high school sporting events. I fear this is a trend that is getting worse. There were recent media reports from California over the last couple of weeks about racist taunting at two different high school soccer playoff games. Most disturbing and suggests that this may be a growing national concern about how our teenagers really need to be taught and educated more strongly about appropriate behavior when they attend high school games. These latest incidents, by the way, are strongly similar to what happened not too long ago at Pearl River High School and at Our Lady of Lords High School during recent high school basketball games. And then I want to talk a little about March Madness and the sports psychology that goes into how college basketball teams are able to pull off major upsets, upsets of big-time programs. And I want to focus in particular on how the St. Peter's men's team was able to upend John Calipari and his University of Kentucky team and, of course, their big win last night over Murray State. There was something that Shaheen Holloway did down the stretch of that Kentucky game that caught my eye. And I want to share that observation with you. Clearly, Holloway is a different kind of coach, one who seems to keep everything in perspective. Okay, 877-337-6666, that's our number. Of course, I encourage you to give a call in. Let's start this morning by continuing to chat about Little League Baseball and its declining numbers. Now, let's put this in perspective. Just like Pretty much everything in life, sports in this country goes through ups and downs and go through, you know, fads of popularity. If you look at the history books, there was a time about a hundred years ago when the most popular sports in America were boxing, college football, cycling, and baseball was just beginning to take off. All the other sports at that time were either very small in terms of the number of players or their popularity. But in the 1920s, thanks to stars like Babe Ruth in particular, baseball began to grow and grow. And since baseball 
is relatively inexpensive to play. I mean, kids just need, you know, a beat-up glove and <clears throat> some taped-up bats and balls. The sport back then was affordable at the youth levels. And in those days, the kids pretty much learned the game on their own. Or they learned the game from the older kids in their neighborhood or from their, their older brothers. This, of course, was the beginning of Sandlot Baseball, where kids used their own creative ideas to make baseball work for them. If they didn't have 18 players, and that was pretty rare back in those days in terms of a neighborhood, uh, they adapted the game to how many kids did show up to play, and they used whatever, they, whatever field they could find to adapt to play their game. But most importantly, all the kids on the Sandlot, they all played. They all got up to hit and hit a lot. They learned how to catch fly balls, how to throw strikes, and so on and so forth. This simple approach, that of kids being active and learning how to play baseball, fueled its growth and the sport's popularity. Now, Little League Baseball started in the 1940s, and it started to formalize and organize these youth sandlot games in pretty much every town in America. And for the last 60 or 70 years, Little League Baseball has become a national mainstay for our youngsters. It's, a, as I say, it's a, a rite of passage for young athletes. But now these days, as we all know, baseball isn't the only game in town. Its popularity has been challenged by such fast-moving sports like basketball, lacrosse, soccer, and so on. Sports that tend to reflect the times in which we live, which is clearly much more focused on a faster pace more instant gratification, and what have you. In short, our kids like quick-paced sports, which explains why video gaming has boomed in terms of its popularity. In contrast, unfortunately, Little League Baseball still plods along with a pace that is anything but fast. And there are other concerns as well, but to me, that's most likely the biggest concern. And the question is, can youth baseball and Little League baseball somehow find a way to make their sport attractive to kids? I'm not even talking about the impact these days of travel baseball teams, which, as we know, siphon off the better players, or the concerns about arm injuries in kids, or the growing disparity of youngsters uh, needing to come from wealthy families in order to afford to play ball. I'm just focusing on how Little League coaches can find a way to teach the game so it's more attractive. Again, 877-337-6666, because most of the feedback I got from last week's show talked about the fact that there have to be some real sort of proactive changes. And I think the biggest concern, quite frankly, is that baseball may be and probably is the most difficult sport of them all to learn how to play. You have to develop all sorts of skills to play the game, and mastering those skills... Well, it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice, and there's a lot of frustration involved. And by the way, there are still some towns in the United States where Little League Baseball continues to be strong and still flourishes. But the truth is, in most towns, the numbers each spring continue to decline. That's something that, that Steve Callis and I talked about last Sunday, and that's, that's a national trend. Furthermore, when kids see their, their buddies, their friends, quitting baseball, to do some other sport, well, that has a sort of a peer pressure impact. Those kids are then strongly tempted to leave the sport as well. And now that we're finally entering into springtime, I really think coaches and parents who grew up in baseball and want their kids to play the sport, 
really need to finally sit down and think hard about how to keep the game moving quickly so the kids remained engaged. Now, again, I really think the time has come to really talk, focus on, on how the game is uh, uh, taught to kids. Uh, I don't think we can ever expect any help from Major League Baseball on this issue. That's not really their main point of interest, especially now that they spent so much time trying to get the game, the Major League game, back on track through the lockout. And, of course, most of us have never really had to worry about or do any marketing or selling of the game of baseball to the next generation of kids. Why? Because we didn't have to. But as I said, times have changed. And the most basic part of the game is to keep the action moving. We need more hitting, more running the bases, more fielding, more everything. We've got to keep the kids involved, keep them busy, keep them understanding that baseball is, is comprised of a lot of different skills. But the best, way, the best games of baseball are the ones that are quick, fast-paced, and kids are on their toes all the time. So dads and coaches, let me be candid. At the younger levels of baseball, literally that ever, you know, up until maybe 9 or 10, you do the pitching. You're the one that goes out in the mound and throws strikes to little kids. Again, up until the age of 9 or 10, when the kids can actually be consistent and throw strikes on their own. Because remember, at the young ages, kids are absolutely terrified of being hit by a pitch in the game. So why scare them even more by having one of their peers try to pitch to them? Practices? Look, you got to avoid boring pra- batting practice sessions where just one kid hits and the others just go and shag balls in the outfield. Can't do that. That's just brutal. That's like punishment for kids. Coaches, you got to put together an organized practice session where there are at least four or five or six different workstations in which different skills of the game are taught to the kids. You have to need a bunch of assistant coaches to do this with you to do it in a very, very clipped and very organized way. One workstation could be on how to field a ball properly. Another one is how to catch a pop-up the right way, especially if it's sunny out. A lot of kids today just don't, don't know how to use their glove to shield the sun when they're trying to catch a pop-up or fly ball. Another workstation is how to really teach them what a, how to, a batting stance, the basics of hitting a baseball. And, you know, on and on. Each practice stop, by the way, should be no more than, than five or ten minutes in length. Keep, keep a stopwatch with you. At the end of the segment, you know, blow the whistle and have the kids rotate onto the next workstation. But keep, keep the kids moving around. You know, have them, if you have to divide them up into like groups of four or five, that's great. But keep the action moving. And emphasize teaching and instruction of all the skills. At this level, you don't even worry about playing a game because, quite frankly, they, they don't have the skills yet to learn how to play a baseball game. You just want to get them feeling like good about they're learning the basics of how to play the sport. Okay, I mean, and by the way, sometime in the next few weeks, I do plan to revisit the growing push for this national movement for Save the Game. That is the great idea that came from Kevin Gallagher's terrific book on how to teach youngsters how to hit. And as you might imagine, a lot of baseball folks agree with Kevin's premise and that if baseball is to survive, we need to start taking the game back to its basics. Again, save the game. That's a topic I will come back to uh, down the road. 
All right, let me let me take a break. When I come back, I want to talk more about Little League Baseball. I want to talk about March Madness, talk about uh, racial taunting, and so much more. 877-337-6666. Talking about March Madness and dancing. Uh, before we get to our calls about Little League Baseball, let me give you a couple of quick March Madness notes. Did you happen to see the UNC-Baylor game yesterday? Baylor was down by 25 points in the second half, came back, tied the game, and the contest went into overtime before Baylor lost. The star of the game, University of North Carolina's point guard, R.J. Davis, who scored a career-high 30 points. R.J. is out of Stepanak High School in White Plains, is the proud son of Robert and Vanessa Davis. Robert, his dad, well, he scored 2,118 points. This was back before there was a three-point shot from 1982 to 86 at Mercy College. And Robert still holds the school, school's career scoring record. Now, Robert was at Mercy when I was there coaching baseball. And trust me, I saw him play. And the dad was the real deal on the basketball court. And it looks like Robert taught his son, R.J., quite well when it comes to scoring hoops. And speaking of March Madness, how about St. Peter's knocking off both Kentucky and Murray State? You know, I mentioned at the top of the show, there's real sports psychology that goes into how college basketball teams are able to pull off major upsets of big-time programs. And I, 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 something happened in the game against Kentucky that, I, that really caught my eye. When things started to get very tight towards the end of the game, when Kentucky was putting together a furious uh, rally to catch up, the camera focused on Coach Holloway and what he was doing when his players gathered around him during a key timeout late in the game. Holloway was smiling. <laughs> That's it. He was just smiling at his team in a very positive and very confident way. There was no screaming, no yelling, no gesturing. He was just, it was just a moment of serene confidence that, that uh, Coach Holloway was trying to spread to his players. In effect, that if I'm the head coach, and I'm smiling, and I'm feeling confident, then you, the players, should feel the same way. It was a message of, of relaxation to just go out and play your game. It was a point of getting his kids to calm down, play their game, and finish the contest with confidence. And that's just what they did. I was amazed. It was so different from most, you know, frantic situations where the, the, the coach grabs a clipboard and starts scribbling on plays and the kids are trying to find out what's going on. It's loud. It's distracting. No, Holloway, he just said, we're just going to relax, play our game. I've coached you guys well. And in effect, Shaheen Holloway, he knows the true power of a confident smile because it basically empowers your players to take a deep breath, relax, and go out and finish the game. That's something to take away. Holloway is obviously a, a new breed, a different kind of coach, and obviously we've all seen that he's, he's worked his kids uh, to the highest levels. Okay, let's, get, um, let's, talk to, uh, let's go to our calls. Let's start with Tim in Eastchester. Tim, good morning. You're first up on the fan this morning. Hey, good morning, Coach. Yeah. Uh, coach. First and foremost, let's localize this conversation. How about the Westchester Mount Vernon City Knights? Yes, New York well, State basketball champions. 
<laughs> the Mount Vernon High School basketball team, the boys' basketball team, has such an illustrious history, Tim, of you know going undefeated. Uh, they've done it so many times. They're always um, considered to be one of the premier, if not the premier, basketball program in the state. So obviously they won again last night, another state championship. Congratulations to to them. Yes, and Bob Samino, judge, um, judge, I'm sorry, coach, uh, <laughs> coach. There has to be a thirty for thirty segment somewhere because. The illustrious history of this city is incredible. It's, 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 it's got to be something out there. And uh, as I was telling the gentleman who takes the call, I wish I had the wherewithal and the money to produce it myself because I would put every dime I had into the story because it's, it's a story that needs to be told. Well, Bob Semino is, is obviously just a terrific coach. Uh, his record speaks for itself, and, and the legion of players that come out of Mount Vernon to go on and play uh, college ball, and some, in some cases, uh, many of them going to play pro ball. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Absolutely. And, and, and coach, so, and March Madness, guess what? Everybody knows who St. Pete's is now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, you, I, I tell you, this, like, you could keep the World Series. You can keep the Super Bowl. Give me my March Madness. It's it's the biggest and the best high of the year for me. And uh, like your your gentleman who takes the score says, it's not just one game. It's a couple of weeks, and you really can get into it. And so it's a great time of the year. Well, I got to tell you, first of all, and the gentleman who takes the calls that is, of course, the the lovable Ed Arzuman, who just uh, has so many fans and followers. He is terrific. And, uh, you know, we're all indebted to Ed for making the show, uh, you know, available on the air and, and, and doing, you know, doing a great, great job and talking to the callers. Um, and so, Tim, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I will say this. Let's put this perspective. Yeah, these are kids. These are college kids. These are not professional athletes. These are college kids who obviously are lucky enough to have their team qualify to get into uh, to March Madness. Um, the St. Peter's story, I mean, it's a school of, what, 3,000 students in Jersey City. I think the entire basketball, men's basketball program, I think I read somewhere, generates about $1.5 million in revenue. Put that in perspective, uh, Coach Calipari at Kentucky, his salary alone is $9 million. Uh, that's his base. Um, so you can see there's, this is sort of a, a David Goliath situation, but clearly Holloway has just done remarkable things with his kids, and now they're, now they're forced to be reckoned with. I mean, you know, uh, Kentucky, you know about Kentucky, Murray State is a great team as well, uh, and uh, St. Peter's led the entire game. I mean, th- this is a really, really tenacious, dogged team. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens next week when they get play closer to home in Philadelphia. Let's continue with our calls. Let's go over to, uh, to Ed Ward and Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Go Peacock, baby. <laughs> yes, I hear you. You know what? You know what? You know what's amazing about this, and I remember. I'm sure you know. Remember Eddie Ford, the scout? Of course. He was Mister. Jer- he was Mister Jersey City. He loved. He was pro St. Peter's and all that stuff. Unfortunately, he passed away a while back, but I'm sure he's smiling up in his grave right now with that big wad of tobacco in his mouth. Yeah, you because know, the St. Peter's. But I want to talk about the little league situation. Yeah, I'm gonna. T- it's a, it's a twofold thing with me. It comes down to the coaching. Number one. You got to keep it organized. And it was funny. My, my brother, uh, who lives in Florida, is coaching his son in, uh, in, in Little League Baseball. And he asked me for some drills. And I told him, you got to keep it moving. What they do is this. They'll practice for an hour and a half. But here's what they'll do. Do, do 30 minutes of drill work hitting all, 
you know, but three stations for 10 minutes. Then they do fielding for a half hour, three stations for 10 minutes. And they'll even work on base run. Yep. So they keep it moving. And you know what? From what my brother told me, because the kids will look forward to practice because they're keeping busy and all that stuff. Correct. But, you know, the, the, another thing, too, with that, Rick, is, you know, you're looking for quality coaching and all that stuff. And in today's society, a lot of the quality coaches don't want to coach because, to be honest, the parents, a lot of the parents are nuts. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm being realistic, I... and, you know, and there's guys that have been veteran coaches for 35 years. All they want to do is coach a little league. They're getting out of it because of that. Yeah, I thought you were going to tell me that uh, it's hard to find good uh, coaches at the youth level, uh, which is also a big issue as well. Of course, the parents are the parents. We know they can be more than overbearing. But, yeah, to teach kids the right way to play the game, and as as we all know, it's a complicated game, you really do need to have coaches, whether they're parents uh, volunteering, whatever, or getting high school varsity players to come out and help. But they've got to have the kids learn from people who actually know how to play the game of baseball. Otherwise, it's just... um, it's just not going to work. Um, and, yeah, what they do in Florida and other other warm climates, yeah, that's exactly right. They The kids come to baseball practice, and they know for an hour and a half at young ages they're going to be working hard. They're going to be doing this, doing this drill, that drill. They're going to find themselves enjoying it because they're getting a sense of being taught well, and they're mastering some skills, and eventually they'll get to start playing in the games. But you got to start from uh, – from the ground level and really teach the kids. He just, I just fear that unfortunately in too many towns these days, because there aren't that many good coaches, uh, they don't understand how to teach the game. They assume the kids know how to play the game instinctively, and that's that's not the way it is, Ed. You know that. Well, you so. know. Well, you know. Here's a here's a great story. I was asked about ten years ago, go speak to little league to speak to coaches about um, uh, you know how to run a practice and all that stuff. So I asked them, I said, how many how many coaches are, are in, in, in your little league? And uh, they said 32. So what I do is I make 32 packets, you know, with different drills and all that stuff. How about the day I, I go to speak? Only four coaches are there. I mean, that's embarrassing to the league and all that stuff. You know, the director was very apologetic. But, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm not asking for a dime. I'm willing to help out and all that stuff. But the interest in the coaches, they didn't want to be there. You know, and, and that's it. That's it's sad. It's as simple as that. Hey, let me take some more calls. Thank you uh, for your thoughts, as always. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Little League, um, and we're talking about, you know, what uh, St. Peter's head coach, uh, Shaheen Holloway, does well. Um, but let me just share with you very quickly, at the other end of the college coaching spectrum, what in the world is going on with the baseball program at the University of San Francisco? This may be, this is just hard to believe, but according to ESPN, a major lawsuit has been filed against that university and the NCAA by at least three baseball players at uh, University of San Francisco because of the behavior and verbal abuse by the head coach and the assistant coach. Now, the assistant coach was fired a few months ago, and the head coach was fired just last week. But in the essence of the lawsuit is three former players, all identified as John Doe's, uh, described varying forms of abuse and described a culture in which, uh, and this is, this is really bizarre, um, it was, quote, it was normal to see the former assistant coach, Troy Nakamura, to, to walk out in the field naked uh, or in a window. 
making <laughs> obscene gestures, even while the entire team and the head coach watched. This was unbelievable. Now, John Doe 1 alleges that the head coach, uh, Nino uh, Girantano, referred to him using several expletives and repeatedly berated him in a, an attempt to pressure him to leave the program, probably because he had a, a four-year guaranteed scholarship. This player entered the transfer portal in January. John Doe number 2 outlined a pattern of verbal and emotional abuse that resulted in five emergency room visits uh, in the fall of 2021, which contributed to his decision to leave the school. John Doe number 3 said the head coach told him he was a waste of space, that none of his teammates or coaches liked him, and that, quote, I wish I could take my bat and hit your head as hard as I can, and maybe I can get your brain to work, unquote, according to the lawsuit. I mean, the lawsuit alleges that the NCAA and, and the University of San Francisco breached their contractual obligations as outlined in the NCAA Division I manual on numerous grounds, including a failure to prohibit sexual harassment or sexual abuse of student-athletes by athletic department personnel. Um, the lawsuit also says that several players have become suicidal because of these coaches' behavior and so on. I mean, this is just bizarre. But clearly, we can see that uh, when you get some really good coaches, like a Holloway, unfortunately, at the other end, there's some, some strange things going on as well. All right, let's, let's continue on with our calls. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Ralph in Manhattan. Hey, Ralph, good morning. You're on the fan. That's pretty shocking, Rick. I, San, Francisco, I, San Francisco is so PC that it's pretty shocking that would happen there. But, you know, baseball is so intricate. It, it's set apart from the other sports. You brought up something very, very uh, specific about the fear factor that baseball entails. You know, when you're standing up to a pitched ball, you're, it's, uh, you know, you could get clocked any time. Sure. And that, 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 um, that fear factor, when instilled in this kid at an early age by these these kids that can't really have any control uh, at that at that age is something they'll carry with them forever. I I coached for many years. I made sure I threw batting practice or my coach threw batting practice. I didn't have these kids throw batting practice and have kids standing out in the outfield twiddling their thumbs, not knowing what what the hell to do because this is what makes baseball not very desirable for the youngster these days. You see these kids literally. Uh, Rick standing in the outfield for for uh, you know minutes on end with no action whatsoever, and they have to be saying to themselves, "I can do something better with my time." With all the choices they have, yes. they have to be saying, "I can do many many things other than you know just uh, standing out here doing absolutely you know watching the grass grow." You know, this uh, is the way it goes on. Ralph, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's exactly what goes on. Kids are, by the time they are 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, they begin to say, you know, I have a lot of other friends who are doing other sports that are a lot more attractive, a lot more exciting than my being sort of banished uh, to spend an hour and a half uh, in the sunshine in the outfield doing nothing. I, I, I think that's a real concern until our youth programs and Little League programs understand that. And understand that you've got to have the game be full of action. Um, the kids at a young age, as you mentioned, they are just so so worried and terrified by getting hit by a pitch. Uh, it's scary. 
it scares them. That's not a good. That's not a good thing. So yeah, have the kid, have the dads go out and pitch to the kids when they're young uh, and little league games. Dads, if the ones, the dads have the ability to control how they throw strikes. The kids will make contact. There will be action uh, around the diamond. There will be kids, you know, running, fielding, making plays. That's what baseball needs. That's how you build a sense of confidence and enjoyment with these kids for the next generation. The question is, as we know, is if we've now lost. This, the next generation of players that we just not they just don't care about baseball anymore it's it's really at a critical critical stage all right let me take a quick time out uh, when i come back i, I want to talk a little more about uh, these latest incidents of racial taunting uh because again this is this is disturbing it's it's getting to be really uh, a national concern 877-337-6666 okay first of all you can always check out my website at askcoachwolf.com and you can always follow me on twitter at askcoachwolf now i mentioned at the top of the show that there was another ugly incident involving racial taunting uh, at, at a couple of high schools. Um, now, of course, we've talked about the Pearl River High School racial taunting incident, and also when Austin and the high school, high, high school uh, girls basketball team was playing at Our Lady of Lords. Uh, here are a couple more at a high school soccer playoff game out in California. Um, the student who heckled black and Latina soccer players during a high school championship game in Northern California with racist taunts has been identified as being held accountable, according to school officials. The student made monkey noises and gestures as a black girl on the Buchanan High School team prepared to take a penalty kick uh, during the Division I Northern California girls soccer game against Oak Ridge High School. Uh, before that, the same student had barked at a Latina soccer player during her penalty kick, according to various sources. Of note is that the Oak Ridge team which, of course, the players did nothing wrong. They actually made it a point to apologize to the Buchanan soccer players after the game, a game that, that Oak Ridge actually had won. And also note is that the Oak Ridge High School, whose student body is uh, is close to 70% white, has apparently made headlines in the past for harassing students of color. According That comes from the Sacramento Bee. Back about five, six years ago, during a girls' playoff basketball team against McClatchy High School, uh, racial taunts were directed at McClatchy's Asian-American players. Now, the principal at Oak Ridge High School has said that the offending student at the high school soccer game will be fully disciplined, but what that discipline has, will be has not been revealed. So it seems to me that, again, this is a particular school, Oak Ridge High School, which has a history of these kinds of problems, then maybe more should be done to educate their students than just a quote of a discipline, whatever that means, a punishment. And then in another situation out in California, at a, high, at a boys' high school soccer playoff game, Sanger High School, uh, they went to Concord, California, to take on De La Salle High School, which is a private Catholic high school. De La Salle won the soccer match. But fans in the crowd reportedly made demeaning comments to the largely Hispanic Sanger High School players, stuff like uh, mowing the grass and wanting burritos and that the team's players should learn how to speak English. Now, after the game, De La Salle's principal sent a formal letter of apology, but from what I can tell, that's about all they're going to do. So again, all these incidents which are beginning to bubble up, I think the, the bigger issue here is whether these these, these things are, are symptoms 
of an underlying concern about kids today not knowing the kids, not the parents, the kids not knowing how to behave when they attend a high school sporting event, especially at a time where we like to think we have made some progress in terms of sensitivity to, to different cultures and ethnic backgrounds in our, in our society. And I'm also concerned as part of this is discipline. What is the discipline? What's the, what's the punishment that's going to be handed down? Quite frankly, if there is no accountability, if there is no punishment, then what's to prevent a kid from or, or their peers from doing this again? It's, this is really baffling to me. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jack Smithland over in Fairlawn. Hey, good morning, Jack. What do you think about all this? Well, Rip, you, you, I think you know how I think about this. I get very passionate about this. Uh-huh. I, before I get before I get started, I just want to say, and it, and it actually is on topic. Um, I, I coach at the college level at New Jersey City University. And we are a, we are a program that that believes in the holistic part of the being, being you as a person first, you as a student second, and you as a student athlete third. And you know that comes right from the top, right from our AD Sean Tucker to Jeff Jordan, who was an assistant, right down to our coach Ashley Martinez. Mm-hmm. And we played a team yesterday from New York, from New York City, Baruch College. They were six and zero. We're one and nine before yesterday. And we just received an email from the coach from Baruch saying that they've never played in such a good setting. They've never played in such a, a place where the kids were solid people, complimenting, helping people when they fell down. And that all comes from the top of our program. And when people see this and people hear this, you know, I'm so proud to be part of this program. And I was at a program, you know, that was not opposite, but run by coaches that, you know, put fear in their players, like these coaches out in San Francisco. These people are just sick. I mean, I can't imagine that at the highest level of our NCAA baseball that we have coaches that can do things like that. But the racist... It's just hard to believe that this happens. This is a Division One program, the University of San Francisco, oh and and you know we're we're still, of course, it's an alleged. These are alleged uh, situations against these coaches, but the the, the 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 president of the college has now said, you know, well, we'll have to fire these coaches. We need some new leadership because, yeah, th- this is hard to believe. Now, again, I'm glad you mentioned about the Peru coach. Uh, I mean, they had an undefeated season going, and they they lost two to New Jersey, uh, uh, New Jersey City University. So, I mean, the fact that they actually, the coach reached out and said, you know, thank you for, for uh, you know, um, basically being a good, solid program, that's pretty unusual in this day and age. It, it, re- it really is. And, you know, when you think about that and you relate it to these kids in the stands not understanding that, you know, what this can cause and, and what it does to people. You know, I'm a strong believer. I, I remember a saying that I hung over my desk that, you know, people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never, ever forget how you made them feel. Right. And when you walk off of a field being put down, being people being racist against you, being prejudiced or bigoted, it's the most amazing, worst feeling you can ever imagine in your lifetime. Because you know what? You do take it personal, and it is personal. And the, the problem with today, Rick, like you said, all these different incidents and a slap on the hand and an apology. You know what? An apology means absolutely nothing unless something's done about it. Correct. You know, the people that, the people that do this 
have to be reprimanded, and they have to be put in a situation where they fear ever doing it again. And I'm not a strong believer in teaching by fear. I I, I worked with a coach that taught by fear. I don't want that. I will never, ever do that. We love our players. Our players love us. Why don't we just understand what's happening in the world today that Peace is the best way. Peace is the best well, solution. And to, to tie this back into uh, Shaheen Holloway, I mean, coming down the stretch uh, in front of a national television audience against the University of Kentucky, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to, to cling to that lead against uh, Kentucky, and there's Holloway, big smile on his face, happy, enjoying the moment, and obviously getting his kids. There's no fear being pushed on his, his players. There's no sense of intimidation. There's no yelling or screaming. He's basically trying to moment to add, uh, add a moment of serenity to his team to say, look, this is great. We're, we're doing terrific. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm confident you can do this. I, I mean, it was so unusual, Jack, to see this in this, this, this hectic day and age of uh, win at all costs. It was, it was refreshing. Do you, do you remember the movie um, Draft Day? Yes. When they showed the clip of um, Joe Montana driving for the game-winning touchdown 85 yards away with about a minute, less than a minute to go, and he comes into the huddle, and everybody's, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he says, hey, isn't that John Candy about four rows up? And they all look at him like, what the hell are you talking about? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, yeah, look at him. He's there. He's sitting. He's smiling. He's having a good time. And they just, you could see how they all just relaxed. Like, oh, yes, my God, here's our quarterback. A big deal. That's the way we need to coach today. We need, listen, I'm a strong believer in a happy employee is a productive employee. A happy player is a productive player. And at New Jersey City University, we love our game. Hey, listen, we were 1-9 before yesterday. We beat a team that was 6-0. and And you know what? We're going to still struggle. But you know what? We're going to be happy when we do it. I hear you. That's I the hear way you. things have to be. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank, thank, thank you, Jack. Appreciate the call. As always, uh, let's uh, continue with our calls. Let's go to uh, let's go to Bob up in Schenectady. Good morning, Bob. You're next up on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are you today? Good. How are you, Bob? I'm doing well. Um, I want to get back to the Little League. Yes. One disclaimer, if you're going to pitch batting practice to the kids, make sure you use an L screen. I was watching the footwork for 10-year-olds, and uh, my son hit one right back into my eye. So that was not really good. Yeah, we made it, though. So that's one thing. Make sure you use an L screen. Well, Bob, let me just say that, uh, yes, uh, even you're tossing BP to little ones, the ones that make contact, they hit the ball hard with pretty good velocity. An L screen is an excellent suggestion because – yeah, I mean, it's just um, there was a time when L screens were sort of uh, few and far between, but nowadays you go to any Little League field, they should be there. And quite frankly, you owe it to uh, yourself if you're throwing batting practice, you owe it to your own health to go out there and make sure the L screen is, is right there in front of you uh, where you're throwing, throwing the pitches to the kids. Absolutely. I looked like Rocky Balboa afterwards. My <laughs> eye was completely shut. God. But anyways, what, my son did play Little League, and it got to the point where – the coaches from each team were going at it because it was that competitive. Yep. So we left the little league. He started playing travel ball. I work a second job because, you know, these, these travel teams are $3,000 and then course. you have to travel. Yeah. So then he, he ran across this situation. We went to a travel tournament in New Jersey 
and the coach brought some other kids along that weren't even on the team for the whole year. And then, you know, some kids wound up sitting. So my son eventually said, you know what, Dad, you work too hard for your money for me to play. And he brought these other kids to play, and I didn't even get to play one game. And so he's now doesn't even play anymore. He's an outstanding lefty pitcher, and I, I don't. I'm beside myself. I'll work. I'll work out 24 hours, seven days a week, so he can play baseball. And he came across this experience that really soured him. So now he doesn't how, even play at all. How old is your son? He's he's going to be 17 this year. He's an excellent little lefty pitcher. Um, does, he, does he play high school? I don't know. If, yeah, he plays high school. He did. He's all done now. Jeez, I mean, and and the, that's that's the. That's the issue, Bob, um, because quite frankly, uh, as you said, uh, he was doing great, uh, and then yep. he got involved in a travel program where he didn't play much, and he just said it just ruined his confidence, it soured him, uh, and he said, you know, I don't need this, and uh, the, what could have been a very, very wonderful baseball career career uh, just went south because of the way the travel program just sort of dismissed him like... Um, yeah, we're not we're not interested in having you play much, and that's. Oh that's... no, he had he had one of the highest baseball IQs on the team. The coach even called me and said, "What's going on?" I didn't have the heart to tell him why he's not playing anymore. Even his varsity coach called me and said, "Why isn't he playing?" And I said, "Well, I don't know why. He just doesn't he doesn't want to do it. But he eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball." Well, maybe the time has come to have one more chat with your son and just say, "Look, can you sort of articulate as to why?" You don't want to play uh, because obviously you're, you have some talent, and there was a time, and you obviously love baseball, uh, but what's holding you back from going out in the field? And if he tells you that it was because of that experience with the travel program, well, let him to talk about it. Maybe, maybe if he expresses his, his angst and, and worries and anxieties, maybe that'll get him back on the right track again. But, you know, the clock is ticking, as you well know, so let's, let's um, try that approach. Bob, uh, good luck. Thank you for chiming in this morning. I got I got to take on another call. In fact, let's go to Nick over in New Jersey. Hey, Nick. Uh, good morning. You're on the fan. Hi, Coach. Hi, Nick. Coach, uh, I coached in the Little League when my son played, but I'm going back 35 years ago. Okay. Uh, when he first went in. Now, when I was coached in the 50s and, uh, and played sports, you know, we were taught a lot of uh, fundamentals. I mean, really driven. But when I went to the Little League, I had to go to a meeting when I first started. <laughs> Excuse me, coach. And uh, I watched these coaches. You know, they picked the teams. Yep. And uh, I, I, uh, I was the new guy. And I watched them. They were setting these teams up. Now, they had been there a long time, these coaches. And they were setting the teams up. They were powerhousing their own teams. <laughs> and I said, so I got, you know what happened there, coach. So I got stuck with some, a uh, couple good kids, but the rest of them really not playing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't play much sports. So what happened is, uh, I said to him, "Wait a second, aren't we supposed to teach these children?" Uh, no, it was all about between the coaches. Now this is thirty-five years ago, and the parents. I'll tell you, coach, <laughs> what an experience! They're yelling at the kids. These coaches. I said to him, "You're not coaching the New York Yankees here. You're coaching children." I said, "You got to stop uh, treating them like they're." I said, these guys must be eating raw meat. Uh, so <laughs> I used I, to take my children. And you, like a coach, uh, someone said before about the kids out in the outfield. So what I used to do is take an outfield kid every once in a while, and, and I'd move him to second base, bring him inside. 
Mm-hmm. There's always had a good pitcher, a good first baseman, a couple of good infields. So you could always bring it. And when that kid got into the infield, he was a new child. Just for an inning or two. And you know what the fans, my wife said, you know what they were saying? We're going to lose the game. He moved that kid <laughs> from the outfield in, <laughs> into the infield. Uh, no, you, I said, this experience is killing me. They're cursing. And I, I, after my son was done, I said to my wife, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, of course, I, I had an argument with the coaches. You know, I'm a, an old street kid. In fact, uh, Ralph, who calls from Manhattan all the time, used to play sports with me when we were older. Oh, no, He's okay, younger okay. than me. But, well, oh, yeah. We used to, and, well, and between the coaching, who didn't, and then they get mad at a kid that didn't do well. I say, he's not doing well because you're not teaching him well. Nick, let me let me uh, offer, and I hear you loud and clear, and I think, unfortunately, that's that's the, the reputation for many, many years the Little League has uh, undergone. Nick, thank you for the call. There's a wonderful classic book called Little League Confidential by Bill Geist uh, when he was coaching his son, Willie Geist. He, Willie Geist, of course, of the Today Show fame. And what it's a funny, funny book about the realities of coaching Little League Baseball over in New Jersey. I heartily recommend it. It's been out for about 20, 25 years. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks, as always, to the highly popular, highly talented Ed Arzuman. Hey, listen, uh, Mark Malusis, the Moose is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.